at the end of the day, just about one pound of CO2 is released for every pound of cement that's created. Now, if you scale that up and think about the sheer size of this industry, that's a lot of CO2. Welcome Getting There fans, I'm your host Alejandro Garcia Maya. Concrete is the most widely used human-made material in existence. Second only to water, it is the most consumed resource. The cement industry generates about 8% of the world's CO2 emissions. How can we reduce the carbon footprint of the concrete manufacturing process? On today's show, we have Robert Niven, CEO and founder of Carbon Cure, a company dedicated to create stronger and greener concrete in order to reduce the industry's carbon emissions drastically. In this episode, Robert and I go over the ins and outs of the cement industry and we cover many questions, including how is concrete made? Who are the main players and what do they care about? How does the carbon cure technology work? And much more. Join us in our conversation. Let's do this. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Victoria, but just recently moved back to actually. So Victoria, British Columbia in Canada. So very connected to nature. Uh, it's, it's an ethos here. I, you know, live by the sea, live by the mountains and rainforests. So uh, having this environmental foundation has, has just been something that's been given to me naturally. Is there a lesson you hold dear from your parents or closest mentors? Hard work. I think I'm the first one to go to post-secondary or, or for university for that matter in my family. Mm. They've always instilled being hard work and caring. So certainly being an entrepreneur, to have been taught early on the value of hard work and the value that it brings, it's a pretty basic lesson, but it's certainly been something that's, that's driven me to where I am today. And where did you end up studying? And if you can give us a little professional background. Yeah, so I I went to study chemistry first at University of Victoria, then did my uh, graduate work at McGill University in Montreal, where my thesis was actually the basis of this field of CO2 utilization in concrete, of which I created uh, Carbon Cure uh, based upon some of that uh, learning that um, I gained at McGill. So before we learn a bit more about carbon cure technologies, we provide multiple choice questions uh, for our fans. And <laughs> sure. uh, I'll, I'll say a question, and then you let me know what answer you believe is correct, and we'll go from there. So um, first question, how much of the world's carbon dioxide is a result of the cement industry? We have A, 2%, B, 4%, C, 6%, the 8%. How much of the world's carbon dioxide is a result of the cement industry? What do you think? It's, it's D, 8%. Um, interestingly, that's not, uh, only a third of that is attributed to fuel. Two thirds of that is actually this inherent chemical reaction of turning limestone into clinker, the precursor of cement. So they have a big challenge ahead of them. It's a large number, but it's also an intrinsic process that can't be solved by by changing energy supply. What country is today's largest cement producer? We have A, China, B, India, C, United States, D, Germany. What country is today's largest cement producer? What do you think? China. 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 
Mm-hmm. That's correct. So uh, according to Forbes and Statista in 2017, China produced a grand total of 2.4 billion metric tons of cement, while the w- rest of the world combined churned out 1.7 billion metric tons. Okay, so let's, let's jump into carbon cure uh, technologies. What does carbon cure technologies do and what problem are you solving? Sure. Carbon Cure is a clean technology company that specializes in a type of technology called CO2 utilization for the concrete industry. What that means is that we have technology that allows concrete producers to consume carbon dioxide instead of having it released into the atmosphere to cause climate change, but rather it can be used to actually improve the cost and sustainability of concrete by improving its compressive strength. Okay. And... Before we go a bit more into the process and how that actually works, can you give us some background on the U.S. cement industry? How, how big is this industry? Who are the main players? What states produce most of the cement? Anything you'd like to share on that? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So the concrete industry and cement industry in the U.S. is, as you mentioned earlier, it's by far not the largest, but it is very innovative and tends to lead in the direction that the world takes. So it accounts for about 10% of the global cement uh, consumption. It's about, I believe, just over 80 million tons of CO2 produced per year. Some of the big states are the ones that you would expect. So California, Texas, and Florida are particularly large. Anywhere where there's population, especially Mm -hmm. population growth, so new construction occurring, is that tends to be aligned with concrete. It is, after all, the foundation of civilization and the most abundant building material by far uh, in the world. And so can can you walk us through the process of how cement is actually created and how it ends up in the cities that you mentioned that are uh, that are booming yeah yeah so uh so cement is the active ingredient in concrete and then concrete's used for construction mm-hmm. so the way that you make cement is you start off by mining limestone and a few other minerals and you need to run that through a kiln at very high temperatures and that's called calcination At that temperature, around 1,500 degrees, the actual molecule of limestone calcium carbonate, CaCO3, breaks in half. About half of the weight, uh, CO2 part of it, is kicked off and released into the atmosphere. And the other remaining portion is called clinker. And then that's mixed with other minerals to form cement. Interestingly, that half ratio is the main driver for the CO2 intensity of this industry. At the end of the day, about just about one pound of CO2 is released for every pound of cement that's created. Now, if you scale that up and think about the sheer size of this industry, that's a lot of CO2. And it's that chemical reaction, which I mentioned earlier, is the main cause of the CO2 intensity of this industry. Only about a third would be the energy part. So once the cement's created at a cement plant, which are usually located quite far from uh, urban centers, is that cement is transported to the popula- areas of population growth, so cities, and it's shipped specifically to a concrete plant. Now, a concrete plant is a mixer, and that includes the cement and aggregate or gravel, mm-hmm. water, and some chemicals. And once water is put in touch with cement, the reaction begins. That concrete is then 
uh, batched into a truck and then delivered to the construction site. So the actual CO2 intensity occurs at the, at the cement production side, um, whereas the other steps tend to be uh, low in CO2 intensity. It's just some electricity and or diesel to transport the product to the construction site. How does it look in terms of companies and which companies own most of the verticals? Yeah, so there's a, a process of consolidation occurring right now where the cement companies are tending to buy up the concrete companies so that they can protect the channel of cement sales into the market. So some of the big names are, at least in the U.S., are Lafarge Wholesome, which go under different names in different regions, Lehigh, which is owned by Heidelberg, uh, companies like Argos, uh, CRH, Semex, are all large vertically integrated mm. players. And uh, they would account for a portion of the overall concrete where the remainder is actually being produced by regional independent players who don't make cement, but just make concrete and buy cement from one of these companies. And uh, they can be mom and pop organizations with one or two or three plants, or they can be large regional players with uh, 200 plants, like uh, companies like Thomas Concrete or Irving Materials, Central Concrete, are all some of the larger players. Ozinga would be another one. That's great. We, we got a highlight of the process of how yeah. concrete is made. So what does Carbon Cure Technologies do exactly? Yeah. Well, we, we solved this problem of what's called the high embodied CO2 of the built environment. So what that means is that buildings have inherently a lot of CO2 that's released when they're made. So this is before the lights turn on uh, when a building is, is constructed and occupied. So these are all the materials. And concrete by far has the largest impact on the carbon footprint of buildings and roads and other infrastructure. And so we target on that problem and how to solve that issue. So what we do is we have technology that we've developed that retrofits existing concrete plants that are using all of the same materials and um, are local and um, their markets that they serve. What we do with this equipment is it, is it allows existing concrete producers to then start using carbon dioxide and consuming that permanently in the manufacturing process where the CO2 is added into concrete in a way that it is immediately mineralized. So we're turning a gas into a stone within concrete that's in the shape of a nanomaterial. And that nanomaterial is what gives concrete this improved strength or material performance. Having that strength then allows the concrete producer to lower their cost by being more efficient in the materials they use in the concrete and also decreasing their carbon footprint, which then goes back to that problem that we're solving of reducing the embodied carbon or upfront carbon emissions of the built environment. As I hear you explain this, how was it that you came about thinking about this technology and, and how come nothing had, or had there been tries before and it, that it just didn't work out? Yeah. Well, the concrete industry has always been trying to incrementally become more and more efficient. And that's usually in the form of adding fly ash or slag or, or fuel efficiency to lower the CO2 intensity of concrete. Now, the idea of using CO2 as an input to make concrete to, 
and then again improve the product, improve the cost, and lower the carbon footprint. Now that's that's a pretty new space of of science and, and engineering. And we were pioneers in that space. And there are other companies who are doing similar things, but also quite different. We believe that it's important to meet the challenge of climate change is to be able to be integrated universally into existing processes. So we don't believe that the solution for the concrete industry is to displace it. We think there's opportunities to work with existing equipment and materials to be able to achieve all of that. Otherwise, it's going to take decades. And we simply don't have the time to waste on creating brand new chemistries or entirely new plants that don't exist today. So that's been our approach, mostly from an urgency perspective of the time value of carbon emission reductions. One thing is having the idea, and the other thing is testing it and putting it through, you know, through, through the ringer. When did you realize that this was actually possible? Mm. You're totally right. When you first go into an industry like a big manufacturing plant and then start putting in technology, there's just so many variables that are going on. So it's really hard to know, are you actually having an effect or is that just coincidental? So creating that causal link is difficult. And it's, um, it's also hard to get into plants in the first place because concrete plants were not designed or they're not really that motivated to do R&D. So finding the right partners and persevering through some bad results and having that hope that we can figure it out on the mechanical side and the science side is, was really difficult and it took years. Um, and we had the support of our investors and the great team and we eventually cracked the code. But that probably didn't happen until maybe five years in where we actually really knew that we had a repeatable technology that could operate at scale and consistently drive value for the concrete industry. Who are the first users of this technology? That's always the, the scariest part when you're, you know, you're the first one, you don't have anything to kind of go by. Were they in what states or was it in the U.S.? Was it in Canada or where was it? Yeah, so our head office is in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And Nova Scotia is an incredible place to innovate. Um, I look at it like a large living laboratory. It's a scaled down economy, but it has everything you could ever need. So it has, you know, utilities and concrete manufacturers and, you know, government and uh, as you would expect. But the thing about Nova Scotia is it also has a lot of connectivity within the business community. Mm. So we were able to get into these plants when really we had no business doing that because of that <laughs> network. Mm -hmm. And they opened up their plants, threw us the keys and, and said, have at her, see what you can break. Wow. Um, so companies like the Shaw Group were the very first in concrete masonry products. And then locally, we started working with Quality Concrete, which is now um, partners with Lafarge Wholesome, that for ReadyMix. And those were, those were really the pioneers here. And it's that pioneering spirit in Nova Scotia of innovation and connectivity that allowed us to get things off the ground. And I still believe that we might not have been as successful or not nearly as quickly as if we had started in a much larger economy like a, mm. a New York or California. What are things, if I was sitting on the other side, creating cement, you know, why would it matter to me? The reason why concrete producers are adopting this technology is because they like to save money. They like to improve their profitability. And many really are looking for that competitive sales advantage. 
nowadays everybody is looking to find ways to build more sustainably and concrete whether you agree or not does have uh, a reputation for being carbon intensive mm. now so if you can provide yourselves an economic advantage and be able to meet your customers needs that that's pretty simple business but it is still a new technology at least in some parts of the world so you posted today on your linkedin that the us conference of mayors just passed the most impactful climate policy uh, for co2 utilization scale up and it's modeled off the successful city of honolulu policy can you share with us what the uscm is first of all and why this climate policy is so important yeah i'd really like to start the story with hawaii actually so we We entered into Hawaii through an organization called Elemental Accelerator, which is an extraordinary group that's based in Hawaii with also a footprint in, in California mm. that works to create uh, partnerships. So just like I talked about with Nova Scotia, this is the same kind of environment in Hawaii. So something we felt really at home in. And they helped us connect all the dots to be able to put together some really exciting precedent-setting policy in Hawaii at uh, state and city at the city of, and county of Honolulu, hmm. led, led by Mayor Caldwell and Governor Ige. And it was through that and our, our industry partners like HC&D and Island Ready Mix that we started to really show that with the right policies, you can scale up clean technology, especially around CO2 utilization. And there's a big gap in the policy frameworks around CO2 utilization because it's so new. So proved ourselves in Hawaii with an environment that we felt really comfortable in with fantastic partners. And it just so happened that Hawaii hosted the U.S. Conference of Mayors event just this last uh, June, July in, in Honolulu. So they're able to show firsthand what's possible with this really promising technology space that really hadn't been explored enough. So the U.S. Conference of Mayors represents 1,400 cities, U.S. cities, typically above 30,000 people in population. So it represents most of the population of the United States. Wow. And they passed after seeing the example in, in Hawaii how, how this technology can really scale and requires no impacts on budgets and no impact on quality. It's just an aligned climate solution. So they unanimously passed a joint resolution calling on uh, governments uh, within their membership to use CO2 mineralized concrete for all government construction projects with concrete, assuming price quality parity. How, um, so that's, mm -hmm. that's a powerful tool because most of the policies in this space are too focused on R&D. And I think for us really to meet this challenge of climate change, we need to find ways that we can get the larger economy engaged. And how can and, we really scale these things up? And with this policy, what's the next step? What do the mayors of other cities need to do in order to get this rolling on their on their end well it's already happening really quickly and just take into account that this is only a couple few weeks old this resolution and we're already seeing cities taking this to the council and committee votes all across the country we're seeing other countries take note of this because people are desperately looking right now for cost-neutral climate solutions. And this is one that people weren't even looking for, so they're quick to adopt. How, um, so we're seeing that happen in Austin, Texas, and other cities and states, and even the federal government now. So it's, 
something that's really, really working to drive this, just as Honolulu had found on their own and, and showed the world. How much CO2 have you saved so far with your technology? I'm, I'm going to guess around 100 million pounds of CO2. Wow. Most of that occurring over the last couple of years. So sounds like a big number, but we have so much more to do. <laughs> um, so we're going to do that through working with partners, partnerships and also developing new technologies. But uh, we're still a long ways off from 500 million. In terms of the process, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this machine that you place in this, in, you know, in this space. Yeah. And then where do you actually capture CO2? Where does it come yeah. from? If we can share an example of that first company that you retrofitted, what does that process visually even look like? So we, uh, on that retrofit model, we, we tried to really find ways that leverage the existing equipment. So we try to have a very surgical and minimal impact that also leverages a lot of technology around data and IoT. So what it looks like is you'd see a large stainless steel container with compressed CO2, and then you'd see all the hosing and piping that, that directs the CO2 into the existing mixers of uh, concrete. And uh, two key pieces of technology, one is the equipment and sensors that actually handle and measure and manage the CO2 and deliver it in a specific phase so that it can be turned into nanomaterial. And that's really the size. It's about uh, maybe uh, two feet by one foot by one foot. So small steel box. Oh, with all wow. The equipment that is inside. small. I was not picturing that, that small or compact yeah. size. Mm -hmm. And then all the electronics go inside the operating um, batch house. And that's even mid-miniaturized further to the size of a Kleenex box. And that's all electronics that um, also have a cellular signal that allow us to be able to do all of the computing in the cloud and have a networking effect with all plants around the world. Um, and beaming back all of the performance to our command center in Halifax. So, oh, so wait, so you're saying that factory in Hawaii or that has, has the compressed CO2 and the sensors and all that, yeah. all that data reaches back out to you. And that means that any other plant that also has this technology, all that data reaches back out to you. So in essence, you begin yeah. getting a data footprint of everything that's happening within all the yeah. plants. Wow. There's a tremendous amount of new value that we can create by working with the data streams as well. And so when you talk about the CO2 reductions, like that's a ticker that is being drawn every second from 150 plants around the world, from Singapore to Halifax. And so that's all, all being shared cloud-based wow. through um, industrial internet of things. So, and still much, much more there to do. How, how long does the process take? Um, 10 seconds. 10 seconds. So 10 seconds for, for inserting the new carbon dioxide, breaking up the particles, recreating a new structure and well, creating the strength and but we only have 20 seconds to work with because that's how fast it might be to, to make concrete so can you imagine going to a concrete producer and say well you know we'll make you the greenest product but you know you can only make half as much um, <laughs> per, per year like that's not gonna fly right so yeah we we let the industry tell us how they do things and we adapted to them 
And that's been our winning formula. And that also applies to our business model. We don't even charge any CapEx for this. We give it to them for free and we share in the value that we create. So whatever we do is we try to really think about the industry and what's really going to work for them. Because if it doesn't, there's no impact. Are there other plans to reach out to other markets with like this technology or no? So let's go back to that first number, 500 Mm -hmm. megatons. So what's it going to take to get there? There's, let's say, 75,000, maybe 100,000 concrete plants in the world. Uh, We're doing 150. (laughs) So we've got a long ways to go. And and like you mentioned earlier, half of those, or at least half of that volume is going to be in China. You know, India, Vietnam, Hmm. um, Africa is growing so fast as a continent. So we have a lot of geographic expansion and we're going to be doing that through partners because there's no way we can organically grow fast enough to be effective in those markets. So we're looking for partners right now that can help us grow the business. Yep, absolutely. Is there anything else you love to share with us? Anything that I didn't cover? Any questions? Mm. Um, So if you Google CNN and Carbon Cure, there's a, a great video there. It's about four minutes long that gives you everything you need to know. Uh, about about carbon cure it it uh, follows the story of one of our uh, best and largest producers in in atlanta uh, thomas mm-hmm. concrete working with uh, local developers there and in, in the city that's great and we'll we'll make sure we have we have that and we'll place it in our show notes so it's very easy for people to be able to yeah. access it and uh, if, uh, one other thing if, if if you want to know more about the broader space of using co2 productively to make products uh, a group that I always point people to is Carbon 180. They're out of Berkeley, and uh, they cover the most recent information and technology, public policy, business around CO2 utilization. Follow us. Like We're always publishing on our social media channels, uh, LinkedIn. You can also subscribe to our newsletter online. We really try to keep people up to date on the things that we're doing and, and ways that they can get involved. Well, that's this week's episode of Getting There. Thank you all for listening to the Getting There podcast. Very much appreciated. Be sure to visit gettingtherepodcast.com to learn about more leaders solving the world's most pressing problems through our videos, games, blogs, and more. If you are or have a friend who's a social impact leader using scalable technology to find sustainable solutions for world-pressing problems, please reach out to my team and I at guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. That is guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. Catch a new episode every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and want to spread love back to my team and I, please make sure to subscribe and rate us. Have a wonderful day. And as my grandfather would say, adelante y arriba.